is in the book. It's as my yeah. kids will say, it's cringe. <laughs> so you can sense the discomfort from that. So. Welcome to episode 154 of the Rockstar CMO FA Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Trusker. I'm no rockstar, but on this weekly podcast, I chat with the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my journey from techie to CMO, sharing the marketing street knowledge that Jason Falls described as a variety show for marketing. Come say hello. I'll include links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes or in our weekly newsletter, and you can find links to those on rockstarcmo.com or rockstarcmo on LinkedIn or Twitter. It's Saturday the 18th of February. Thank you for joining us. Hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I dive into developing the personal brands of your executives. I go backstage with marketing research expert and author Emmanuel Propes, and I wind down the week with Robert Rose and the Rockstar CMO, Virtual Bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark for our weekly dose of marketing street knowledge from our resident rockstar CMO strategy advisor and former research director of Serious Decisions. Come on in to the studio. <laughs> I, I, I welcomed you on cue. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just remembering the order in which we do these things. Uh, and it's only that we do them every week. And I, I, and I nearly interrupted you. So much you happens in the middle of the You're welcome though, of so. me. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. And welcome to Rockstar CMO. FM, Jeff. How are I'm you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Jolly good. Yes, no, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We've had quite a nice day today. Uh, you know, we always start with the weather and how are things with well, you? Well, despite the uh, impending rain and the fact that as I look at the weather app, um, I realize we will probably have a February without snow, at least without anything that oh. lasts for more than a couple hours. So uh, it's going to, it's a wow. very unusual February. My wife yeah, and I actually wow. thought it was April uh, a couple of days ago and then we realized, <laughs> oh, no, it is February. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I was um, I was in London yesterday, and it was 16 degrees. It was a very spring-like oh, yeah. day. It was wow. beautiful. But 16 degrees centigrade, which is, um, I can't do the math. <laughs> it's around 60. <laughs> sort of. 60-some. 60, 60 yeah. Yeah, yeah, 70. Well, yeah, anyway. Um, I should actually uh, do the, get Google to do the maths and talking, but I can't multitask, so that's uh, 
All right. So um, anyway, on to the topic of today. Last week, we were chatting about podcasting and we narrowly missed going down the rabbit hole of personal brand. I think that was my fault. I raised that topic. But we promised that today we would talk a little bit about personal brand and whether that's important that your executives have a personal brand. And quite coincidentally, it was quite fun, wasn't it? They, um, I got called out on LinkedIn because um, there was a Super Bowl ad about the fact you shouldn't call people rock stars, which was <laughs> funny. And, um, and a couple of people called me out and said, there you go, Ian, you can't be called a rock star. Only rock stars and, can um, call other rock stars rock stars. Yeah. Exactly. So if, 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 you, if you want to look up that ad, it's the Workday ad from, from the Super Bowl. And basically you have a bunch of uh, rock stars. One of them is in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, by the looks of things. Um, and Which they one was that? Talk, uh, the one with... Um, um, oh, it's, a, it's like... A, it's in the opening. I think it's like the opening couple of scenes. I think it's um, the lead singer of Black Sabbath. Ozzy or, Osbourne. Yeah. God, wow. at least I remember this band. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it looks like he's in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. So yeah. when anybody says to me, what the hell are you talking about, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool? I can say, watch that ad. You can see where the rock stars live. Yeah. Anyway, but that ad was saying that you can't call people rock stars. And our thing today is going to be about personal brand. And we've made a loose and rather tenuous link to the name of our show. <laughs> should, should we be making our executives rock stars? Um, what say you, Jeff? So should we start with that? Why do we want executives as rock stars with their own personal brand? Well, you know, some of them may be rock stars already. Uh, I yes. mean, and obviously, you know, I should say obviously, but it's usually companies, you know, they want to display the, their executives or, and, or, you know, uh, you know, other leaders within the company, you know, because it gives yeah. credibility to the business, you know, but I think there's some times where um, that personal brand is is gold for for the organization mm-hmm. and for the organization's brand. So, yeah. you know, if, one of the situations, uh, scenarios is, you know, that, uh, you know, a founder, you know, and, and people often identify better with individuals in their success story than they do, like the organization and its development. So right. you know, Steve right. Jobs being kind of an obvious one, um, you know, because his brand helped the initial startup phase. It also helped revive the company when they brought him back mm-hmm. after things were, were waning. So, uh, so and, just on, on that, so you so the... The the revitalization of Apple was dependent on Steve the, the personal brand that Steve Jobs had developed in the original Apple, in the original kind of thing yeah, and not yeah. so the, it got them back to that innovative kind of um, brand. What was yeah. interesting is that his innovation was floundering in between. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's but true, somehow yeah. when they bring it back, uh, yeah. But I think yeah, yeah. you know a number of us have been a company. I mean, I worked at Pega Systems, where Alan Treffler is kind of like it's in a, obviously it's much smaller. I mean, he doesn't have the big name, but it's like within yeah. within the market, you know, it's like he he has his yeah. brand and and uh, and. So um, so I'm not familiar with Alan Treffler, um, but so was he a, was he one of the founders of Pega Systems? He was so? the founder, and he's kind of oh, like his, okay, his right. brand as a change agent. He came out of right, you know, one of the big uh, consulting firms as a change yeah. agent, and then so he built. You know, a company yeah. with a with a tagline right. "Build for right. Change," uh, and um, so so you know. I mean, and also, of... and just on this, just sorry, mate. What about there's? Do you do you know the name the CEO of um, of SAS? Um, Good night, is it? 
He's, yeah. th- there's, that's another example, just like that, isn't it? That he yeah. has his brand and his, this, um, he has the, these personal um, attributes, rather, that, that convey on the, the way the company is run, right? Yeah. yeah, and again, people identify more closely mm. with individuals and their success yeah. stories than they do the, yeah. the company. That's the first one. We identify yeah. with the individual. What's, what's the well, idea? actually, one we we kind of referred back to regarding Steve yeah. Jobs is is yeah. like if you're if you're taking the company in a new direction and mm. and so bringing in you know whether it's the CEO or a CTO or someone who's going to lead you know uh, yeah. product innovation, then that's like okay, now we're we're changing you know our company we're bringing a uh, new mm. life to the brand we're not necessarily reviving an old brand we're trying to new life i mean one of the ones that i thought of first because i saw the movie ford versus ferrari was uh, lee iacocca <laughs> because he yeah. was uh he was stifled at ford after creating the mustang and getting them in mm. racing and so he's like mm. well, forget this uh i'm gonna go to chrysler which obviously mm. that for a time made mm. uh made a big impact on, uh, on chrysler's brand and and I think that kind of relates to even the third scenario, which is just building credibility. It's like, you know, you hire a thought leader, an evangelist, somebody that's well known to gain yeah. that associated brand with your company. Um, and I think one of the ones, you know, I think we, we may have referred to last week, Scott Brandon, yeah. who joined HubSpot, yeah. uh, you know, as somebody, I mean, he was kind of a, had his own gig being kind of an analyst and thought leader. Yeah. He probably has some impact on the operations, but he's primarily there to continue to project that brand and then yeah. have that associated. So it's like the company, which is a good tech company, plus the you know the, the brand innovator A plus B yeah. equals good innovative tech company. Uh, yeah. I know when I was at um, at you know Progress years ago, we we hired a company that had a whole source whole slew of. Um, open source developers who are really well regarded in the uh, mm. field of uh, application integration. And it's kind of like, okay, these guys are going to continue. They're going to improve the, yeah. the, the sort of the old brand and they're going to make us uh, our, our place known as a leader in developing this new set of integration yeah. technology. So there's and that, lots and that of was good Iona. examples like that. I was yeah. Li- yeah, I didn't know that from the notes. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Iona. I remember. I remember Iona went back when I was at, at Vignette and stuff. Yeah, they yeah. they they had a, a great reputation. And but I think this third point is the one that we see the most. I mean, I, I'm not sure many people yep. are going to know the Lee Iacocca story and are into classic cars quite as much as maybe I am. But I know that story too. But I think where we see this sort of Scott Brinker thing, I mean, you must have seen it a lot when you were at Forrester, right? That seemed yeah. to, there seemed to be a, a career trajectory. You make your name at Forrester, you become, uh, you, you create essentially a personal brand within Forrester, and then a vendor comes along and hires you for, and, and to get that um, glow, of, glow of credibility, right? Oh, I've hired the top damn analyst. And yeah. therefore, you know, my company must yeah. be great. And, 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 and sometimes it's also just the, the capabilities, I mean, the skills yeah. they have as a, as a speaker yeah. being able to tell Absolutely. the story. And so, you know, I mean, yeah. at, at one transition point while I was at Serious Decisions uh, and transitioning into Forrester, you know, then MarTech companies were just hiring lots of people. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily everyone's got an executive level job or whatever, but, but you know, yeah. these are people that know how to speak. They know the, the industry. Yeah. They know... They know what's in or what's out, and they're going to actually help project why we're an innovative company. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one of the rabbit holes I wanted to go down in this, and I know that we haven't got time, was 
I think that companies hire these folks for that credibility and for that independence that they had and that industry knowledge. But what happens when they become institutionalized and they're just, you know, another vendor, you know, sort of um try you know selling selling a product and people of people the the buyers forget that they're these formerly independent folks right and you've got to make sure they're actually good at the job you hired them for as well as being great at speaking and and having that kind of aura i think that aura was the word i was looking for yeah yeah Yeah. and also i mean it's not just executives either is it because um i remember when i did some work with acquia and they used to have an evangelist who's now somewhere else now um, and his name, he, he was a very distinctive man with a very distinctive moustache. His name was um, Jeff Jam Maguire. And he, he, he came for He was a content writer, I think. And then he was involved in the Acre community. And they really kind of built him up as this, with this personal brand because he was one of the people, right? He, and a bit like what you were saying about Iona. He was, you know, um, you know, he was one of them. He was, he, yeah. he, you know, he, he, was, he was somebody who was part of the Drupal community and, who people looked up to. So, yeah, so, so that's, that's kind of the why. Um, and you mentioned there about hiring, and we, and we mentioned a little bit about developing, but um, should, should we, is, is this just about hiring in these rock stars, or can we develop our own rock stars? I, you know, I think you can also develop within, and that's, you know, that's like yeah. actually probably more of my personal experiences where, yeah. you know, you've got somebody that's on the, either the executive team or somebody's from development, and, yeah. and you, you've got to, you got to make them <laughs> do a good job yeah. of getting out there and telling their story. And, and yeah. um, so, you know, I think last week we mentioned, you know, Ed Peralt at, at Primo. He's got yeah, a podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so he's building his brand and, and, and projecting it from within, uh, yeah. growing up from within a Primo. Uh, there was a guy at, at when I was at PEGA, uh, Dr. Rob Walker. He came in yeah. from an acquisition. He was kind of a, a leader in, in developing. Uh, product from a company called Cordian and mm-hmm. fabulous speaker, fabulous yeah. writer, you know, and, and so it's like, Hey, let's work with this guy. Yeah, yeah. And actually it was, he was so good. You didn't really have to do a lot of work with him, but it's like, you know, <laughs> let's help him tell his story. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and so that, you know, he's going to project that, that, that brand. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't familiar with him um, until we were prepping for this conversation. So I looked him up and he's still a pegger and it seems to oh, be, yeah. Still you know, still very much the evangelist and very much with that personal brand. But I mean, when we talk about developing talent with him, I mean, we talked about Ed and having the podcast and that kind of stuff. How far does that go? I mean, because when I think about, you know, so, you know, so for example, um, uh, often I use the example of Drift in lots of different um, examples and sort of Dave Gerhard, who was the CMO at Drift. I mean, they wrote a book, you know, he they they coined a a category of which you know he was very much the champion of and so they really went to town on that stuff i mean is that what we're talking about the measure of of what what one would do i mean what ha, what sort of support should we give to to growing these folks i mean i think the 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 support we give them i think is um i mean obviously a lot of it is very situational um dependent and 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 mm-hmm. it's like you were talking about the security you can take it as far as it goes yeah uh and um and so i think a lot of it is 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 first um you know when you have someone like this that you want to work with you you as a marketer so if we're if we're thinking about you know we're talking to marketers here who are like mm-hmm. oh well, gosh i got this guy that i have to work or a gal that i have to work with and and so what are the things i want to do i think one of the things is 
you know, make sure your corporate brand is well defined and you can collaborate with this the individual to say how do we how do we make sure your brand and what you're going to talk about supports the corporate brand and and you know this yeah. may cause they may cause you know both things to you know reshape a little bit but you want to define you know what's the the purpose of using you in a, as a as a visible outspoken individual uh vis-a-vis our brand you know yeah. and you're going to have that- a day job and and you're going to have to make sense of of you know what your brand is outside yeah. of that day job, so all these pieces have to fit together. I think requires a uh, yeah. well. I think yeah, and I think that, that I mean this is a really interesting point because it's a li- it needs to be handled a little bit gently, doesn't it? Because yes. we're not creating we're not creating our own PR. Well, but we do want to create our own PR, and it's the same with employee <laughs> advocacy and engagement, isn't it? We want our employees to share things on LinkedIn and stuff, but we don't want them to lose their credibility as individuals and just be, um, you know, spokespeople for, for us that are driving the brand forward. So I guess that's a bit gentle, but that basically is about the five FM marketing fundamentals we talked about, right? Is if you've yeah. got those strongly defined, what your brand purpose is, what your brand is and all that kind of stuff, then you would hope, <laughs> right, that the execs are already on board with this, right? So they, they know that, you know, if they're going to talk about, um, say, like, uh, they're, they're passionate about, um, about uh, conservation or some, some purpose, that can, that, if that's going to be associated with the brand, then the brand needs to be on board with that, right? And Absolutely. Otherwise, and it, yeah. And I think this is one of the things that um, I mean, maybe marketers shouldn't worry. I mean, too much about yeah. where this could go wrong. In that, sometimes the executive team will do as much to rein in somebody who is <laughs> yeah. going off brand, if you will, yeah, yeah, as yeah. as you will. Um, yeah. But it, but again, I think it's this is the this is yeah. as you said, it's, it's it's tricky in that this is really about a collaboration, and it's not yeah. it's not like you can go in with your brand hierarchy yeah. and say, okay, you fit yeah. here, yeah, uh, and I want you to talk about this and this because they're going to say, hey, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah, so yeah, but I think I mean, process. yeah, I mean, in my day job, we're going through the process of onboarding a PR agency, and that's almost a mini version of this, right? Is yeah, there's there's this guy, they're great at this. These are the things they're interested in. These are the topics they want to talk about. But this is kind of the flip side of that, isn't it? In that, in that you want the that you when you're leveraging a personal brand, this is something somebody is internally passionate about and driving themselves as much as briefing a PR agency, right? Yeah. So, what what other support can we give to our our champions, our evangelists, our, our rock well? I think this is like you know, again, going back to our fundamentals. Is one is yeah. you want to help them define who the audience is, and sometimes yeah. it's natural. You know, it's like yeah. you've got your CTO, your VP development, VP of manufacturing. Yeah. Okay, so at our developer conference or user conference, you guys, you're going to have a big stage. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's, you know, CFO, CFOs always get on the financial news shows, the business yeah. trade press, but then you want to say, well, how can we, how can we, uh, you know, either expand the audience that you're talking to, mm-hmm. uh, or how can there might be other people within, uh, the organization that are, that are definitely, uh, you know, specific draw to the audience. Like I know in MarTech and, you know, we mentioned one example with a primo, it's like in MarTech CMOs are a draw. Because yeah. they're not only the CMOs running marketing, they're you know they're talking to the people that are. I mean, their audience is very relevant because many yes, people in the audience do the they job are, that they audience. do. Yeah, and yeah, so exactly. um, you know, so it's it's this again it becomes very situational. But I think again, it's a collaboration of 
what's your natural mm-hmm. audience, and, and then how can we broaden that out to give you more exposure to uh, right. a water wider and that, people that, and even beyond our customer base. Yeah, and that's an important point, isn't it, is, is finding the peer in the buying group um that that these folks are going to appeal to right and i think you're right i mean if it, if you're selling erp solutions or financial solutions then your cfo's opinion is going to resonate better with that yep. buyer than your yep. cmo right so yeah that's cool so what what else can we do to help support them? well i think the first to you know help us uh, get to the the third item which is building a content strategy or, yeah. or actually maybe this should be the executing the content or or you know yeah. putting the plan the actual plan together because there's you know the i think that i think is important about this is that you know since these people have day jobs you want to make sure that that we're using them wisely and mm-hmm. so there's the you know the basics of making sure bios are up and their linkedin profile is good blah blah yeah, blah then yeah. there's like Okay, we got our we got our own events, so we want to put you in front of our audience. Yeah, we want to make sure that you know you're you're exposed and visible on our website. You know whether you're blogging yeah. videos of your speeches, et cetera, et cetera. But then I think this is where it's important to work with uh, you know PR agency. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of like let's let's look at a broader editorial look uh, yeah. calendar. Let's look at other speaking opportunities. Can we actually get you know, can we get our CEO yeah. to speak at a conference that's not necessarily our, you know, our yeah. own customers, but, you know, maybe it's an industry, important industry con- conference where we can give them a, yeah. you know, a highlighted, uh, you know, keynote yeah. or something like that. And so, um, so that, I mean, those are all parts of the content strategy that the first two steps build yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, do you think that, um, I mean, what, you, what we have, it, you, what you didn't really mention there is, is, is the assumption there that the, ex, the, the executive can write the content for themselves or is some of that support going to be in ghostwriting and all that kind of good stuff? I think that that's, you know, um, I mean, this is, this is actually going to be my, kind of my fifth point is that, you know, get a coach, get okay. help where appropriate it, because, yeah. Um, I, to me, in, the, in my own experiences, is the the best executives to work with on this are ones that know, I mean, their ego, they have an ego, but they know that they may need help, right? So having a good speech coach, you know, having, you know, internal teams help with presentations, having people writing and editing, you know, understanding, you know, doing a workshop, but interviewing skills, or at least having the PR agency help coach them on how to, how to work in interviews and it's, it's like it's like what a speech coach does what's if you're going to be on squawk box what's your body language how are you organizing your content and responding to questions how do you let's practice on that um you know so that i think i think this is it's really important mm-hmm. to for marketing to be the person who can bring those resources when necessary okay so this uh, so um yeah we're we're kind of running out of time um but so this is where um that we the, the role of marketing here is to develop our our thought leaders uh, and their personal brand through this kind of coaching process right yeah. um but i i skipped over didn't i you said you wanted to make five well, points and we skipped to the fifth so what was your yeah fault? well it's a, well the, the other one is which is you know is certainly something that um you know your agencies can help with the building and nurturing connections because i think yeah. another thing that's important if your uh, executive, your evangelist is going to be out there invisible, um, let's make sure they're connected to other people, other influencers in the 
in the industry so they can bounce ideas off and they can kind of get an idea about about what they're saying, whether it works or not. So whether it's an analyst, a journalist, you know, so, some other, you know, well-known influencer in the field, you know, help them build that relationship because that, I think that that pays off in dividends and that their message gets uh, better honed. It maybe make other connections that are going to be valuable down the road. Um, they may come with their own connections. So, you know, so let's start with those and let's build on them uh, to, uh, you know, so, to make sure uh, they're getting the right inputs. So, um, so building, so I assume this would be like nurturing their connections to um, the, the channel down which they need to communicate. But you're saying like create a network of other folks they need. Or, or is it, what, what? Yeah. It's like if, if um, so, you know, having both been a customer and somebody who worked at Forrester, you know, if, if, if you, if you're working, if your CEO or your um, CTO is working on a pitch, mm-hmm. well, you know, get them, get them an audience with the right analysts at Forrester and let them, let the analysts, you know, feedback to them and say, and here oh, are I some see. other things you could think about. Oh, you could actually take this presentation over to this audience here because they would be really be receptive mm-hmm. for it. So it's, Okay, and so it's a bit like the coaching relationship. Yeah, so it's a bit like the yeah. coaching thing, really. You're saying that um, you you need to test that content that they're going to be talking about. There. All right. So um, yes. So we've we've run out of time. There's a number of other things that I was going to ask, but I think that um, we can definitely come back to this in the future. Um, and so the last gender item, Jeff. Um, what song are we going to play out with today? Counting Stars by One Republic uh, came out in 2013. Wow. Uh, the quote from that that I pulled was, "Lately, I've been, I've been losing sleep, dreaming about the things we could be." So Splendid. you you get your rock star exec. <laughs> They're going to make you lose sleep, but just think about what you could do with them. <laughs> I love it, and uh, and uh, yeah, and 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 a tune this week that one of my daughters would actually enjoy. So that's good. <laughs> doing, oh my god, we're doing well there, Jeff. We've jumped all right, generations. Mate. All right, mate. So uh, so successfully disappeared down this rabbit hole. Um, we haven't decided what we're going to talk about this week, so I won't ask you. But will you be in the studio next? Yes, I will. All right, buddy. I'll see you then. See that kills me makes me feel alive. Thank you, Jeff. And that was Counting Stars by One Republic from 2013. Let us know what you think. You can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com, or give us a shout on LinkedIn. We are Rockstar CMO. Right, time to go backstage with my guest. Emmanuel Propes is the global lead brand thought leadership at Ipsos. He's also an adjunct professor at the University of California, where he teaches consumer market research, and he's a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author. Emmanuel has an MBA in marketing, a doctorate in consumer psychology and over 17 years of market research and marketing experience. And he shares this experience in his new book, Assemblage, The Art and Science of Brand Transformation. A fascinating fella. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Emmanuel, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me and on the show. 
Hi, I'm, you're very welcome. It's, it's been fun getting to know you a little bit before we hit record. What's, um, now, I'm obviously detecting a French accent. We were talking about this before, but where am I speaking to you from today? Well, you, you got it, and uh, my, my accent is <laughs> trouble, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. I, I was born and raised in France, uh, and mm-hmm. I also spent six years in the UK, and I graduated in the UK and uh-huh. really missed my time in in the UK and in London in particular, and like to go back to visit. And I now live in Los Angeles, California in the United States. Nice, nice, nice. Much better weather. Sounds fantastic. Much so, better weather <laughs> so for people that haven't come across you like I have, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, I've been involved in the market research and the branding, advertising, marketing industry for over 17 years now. Mm-hmm. And I started in London. And nice. I did not choose market research, ironically. <laughs> I needed I was studying for my MBA and I needed a mm-hmm. job to keep the, the cash coming. And yeah. I found a job in a call center market research agency um, in North Acton in London. And that's mm-hmm. how I got started. I thought it was fascinating to listen to people, how they talk about not only brands and products, but how they talk about what they need, what they want, what they want to achieve. And what had kept, what has kept me going, if you will, for the last 17 years is to be curious about why do people do what they do? Yeah. And that is really what fascinates me. And I insist on choosing this word, uh, people, not consumers, people before being consumers. Right. Of course, right. we look at how people consume things. But yeah. it's so important to understand people's intrinsic motivations first. Yeah, yeah. And you're currently, I mean, you know, learning a little bit about you before we were chatting. I mean, you have got a lot going on. So let's start off with your day job, which is that you work for Ipsos, correct? What is yep. it that you do there and what is it that Ipsos do? I mean, I've heard of Ipsos. I think most marketers are probably familiar with your firm. But what is it that you do there? Yeah, Ipsos is one of the three largest full-service market research agencies in the world. So Ipsos mm-hmm. is the one-stop shop for uh, all research needs. And at Ipsos, I'm global lead for brand thought leadership. And what this means is I create content, I create thought leadership around how to predict, measure, and optimize brand health. And I right. also disseminate this content. That is, I, I share our learnings from the team and I with the industry and clients and uh, mm-hmm. our audience today. Yeah. And I also do some client work, I assist clients with very specific needs. Um, so I'm very lucky to have that diverse role, if yeah. you will. So that's Ipsos. And I also teach market research at the mm-hmm. University of California at Los Angeles. And then yeah. I, I write as well. Uh, I write books. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get onto your book in a second. What, um, so Ipsos, um, what, is, what sort of clients do you work with at Ipsos? I mean, I, I often hear about your research being published by, you know, in the media sometimes, in the mainstream media. But who is it yeah. that you tend to work with? Is it the big B2C, big consumer brands that you work with? Yeah, and I think what you're referring to is all the work we do in public affairs because we do a lot right. of work on, on polling and things like this. And that's yeah. what I'm... I'm familiar with, this is not my, my area of expertise. A lot of yeah. the work we do and all of the work I do is we help clients predict, measure, and optimize their brand. 
And my clients are in tech. They're also in FMCG or CPG. Uh-huh. They are also in uh, alcoholic beverages. So <laughs> those are some yeah. of the categories that personal yeah. care, beauty as well. Those are some of the yeah. categories I um, work with. And what we do for those clients is, in a nutshell, we want to understand uh, who do you appeal to? What mm-hmm. is your competitive environment like? How can you differentiate from your competitive environment? And how can you optimize the performance of your brand? And importantly, how can you do so in a dynamic fashion? That is, we recognize mm-hmm. that brands evolve constantly. They are no longer static. Yeah, yeah. And how can you co-create with the audience? And what I mean by yeah. this is marketers can no longer dictate what the brand stands for. It's really this right. exercise of listening to the audience and finding yes. the brand accordingly. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's that's great. I mean, I'd love to dive into each of those topics, but I actually want to talk about another couple of things in this uh, particular mm-hmm. interview. So, But that I, I love the way you laid that out of, of what you do with your clients. It sounds fascinating. But um, just to go back a little bit to when you, I know, I'm, I'm sure it's only a few years back to the beginning of your career, to when you were saying that um, you were studying marketing and you need to get a job. But what inspired you to choose marketing as your career? I mean, you said you didn't choose market research, but I think you were studying marketing, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, I've always been, while I did not choose market research per se initially, I've always mm-hmm. been fascinated with advertising and marketing. And I'm not quite sure why. As a teenager, I remember clipping ads from magazines, uh, specifically from luxury brands. And I would display those ads in my room. And I had plenty. And I started subscribing to professional publications. I was 15 or 16, I believe. So I've always been very interested in advertising and Also, I like to make photographs. And as a Mm. teenager, I did a lot of darkroom things, black and white photography. Mm. And now that we're having this conversation here, and I think I've always been appealed with uh, what we call visual literacy, meaning our ability to interpret, to Mm. understand pictures, images. So I think that is what draws me to marketing and market research. Yeah, and 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 it is that left brain, right brain thing, isn't it? With mm-hmm. with the creativity and with the research on on both sides. Um, but I mean, this I love listening to your story. But we've um, the real reason I think that I wanted to chat to you is because you've published a book, and I'm a big fan of marketing books. And if we were on video, you'd see that behind me I have shelves <laughs> of the things. Um, but you, and your book. Uh, that you've just published is called Assemblage, the Art and Science of Brand Transformation. So let's start with that title. What is an assemblage? <laughs> yes, assemblage is a term that is inspired from the wine and spirit industry. That mm-hmm. is, when you want to create a wine or champagne or cognac or maybe a brandy or a whiskey, yeah. you do so by assembling, meaning you combine from a wide range of brandies or a wide range of of grapes, if you will. And you pick from uh, different aging processes, different barrels, different uh, pieces of land, if you will. 
And yeah. you may combine up to 100, 130 plus different brandies to create a cognac. And mm-hmm. that is the process of the assemblage. And therefore, the title of the book is a metaphor for this process, yeah. whereby we can create brands just like that by assembling yeah. in a dynamic fashion. We know that brands evolve all the time by assembling cultural and personal and social attributes to create brands that are unique and differentiate from competition and are meaningful to people. I think, I think that's great. And the way you describe it, I mean, I think you need the French accent, though, to describe how you put together a good brand in a good yeah. cognac. I mean, it comes over very well from you. But why is this concept of assemblage so important to marketers today? I mean, what inspired you yeah. to write the book and why take that approach? Sure. What inspired me to write the book is, especially Mm -hmm. in the US, we have so many brands and so many products and people don't need any more products. People don't need any more brands. And Mm -hmm. I hate to to break it to you, our listeners, but most (laughs) people don't care about most brands. There are very few brands you're truly loyal, uh, emotionally drawn to. Mm. Uh, and of course, you know, we can always talk about Ferrari and Aston Martin and Fortnum and Mason mm. and, and, you know, those are fine. And Manchester United, I'm just trying to mm-hmm. think of <laughs> big <laughs> brands that resonate um, in yeah. the UK. But really, most of the time, uh, you, you don't really care about mayonnaise or toothpaste. So always to yeah. say that people don't need any more brands. The reason why the book is important and urgent is assemblage the art of science of brand transformation this book shows you how to create brands that transform people and the world they live in meaning what people expect from brands is not just to provide them with reliable products but it's to transform them from who they are and who they want to become and they also expect those brands to do the right thing for their local community and for the world at large I think that's so fascinating because marketing, I mean, I've heard marketing, I mean, I'm a CMO myself, but I've heard marketing described as we're, we're trying to inspire change. We're trying to, we're trying to make a buyer, consumer person change their behavior and buy our product or look towards us. But this is a bigger concept, isn't it? You're, you're talking about um, transforming the world we live in. I mean, what, tell us about that idea, about this transformation idea. Yeah, well, there are concerns, obviously, with the environment, with sustainability, yeah. with labor practices, with economic recovery. And that's where brands can help transform the world, make a positive mm-hmm. impact. That is, re-energize your local community. That is, yeah. make sure that you adopt sustainable practices, uh, encourage recycling, repairing upcycling products, for example, and the circular economy. All those are concepts that uh, I cover in the book. But really, in a nutshell, the point is those brands should help people and help the world. Now, don't get me wrong. We can make a profit. Absolutely, we're in business. (laughs) That's completely fine. We're here here to sell products. But we can do so in a a fashion that is uh, more impactful meaningful and as such develop a stronger emotional relationship with mm-hmm. our consumers our audience and do so for good so that people yeah. don't switch to a competitive product 
Right. And so this sort of moves us on to another concept I wanted to ask you about, because we talk about branding quite a lot on the show, as you can imagine, being a marketing um, show. And I think brand has become very important at the moment. I think that people are realizing that you need a strong brand in order to cut through all the noise of today and that performance marketing isn't quite working and all that kind of good stuff. But this concept here, which sounds related to what you're just saying about brand purpose, seems to become a bit of a buzzword and there's some cynicism around brand purpose at the moment in the marketing community. What's your take? Is that what you're talking about here, that brands need that need to have that purpose? Yeah, brand purpose has been really a buzzword in the industry for what five, seven years, nine yeah, years yeah. now, and kind of all started yeah. with uh, Simon Sinek's book. Look, here's how brand purpose has evolved. Number one, I see that brands can no longer just claim a purpose, but must mm-hmm. demonstrate this purpose. Number two, this purpose has to be credible. It has to be believable, for lack of a better expression. And last but not least, my take on it is not all brands can have a purpose. Some right. brands are built around purpose. Some brands were not built around purpose, but can align with one. And, you know, some brands should stay away from purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think to take some examples, well, a brand like National Geographic, for example, it is mm-hmm. built on purpose to showcase a uh, uh, wonderful world we live in, or Patagonia yes. is one, or REI might be one. Those are brands that yeah. are built on purpose. And then yeah. you have brands that were not built on purpose, uh, but can jump on board with a purpose. So that's, I'm thinking of Dove. Um, Dove mm. is a Unilever brand promoting the real beauty project, whereby, yeah, Dove was in the business of making soap, yet mm. they harnessed and took ownership of this purpose of showcasing people's real beauty. And it makes sense, yeah. isn't it? And they're doing very, very well. And then you have yeah. brands that have nothing to do with all that and should stay away from purpose. Yeah. And uh, there is actually a UK investor. His name escapes me, but he's been poking fun at Hellman's Mayonnaise. Hellman's <laughs> is also a Unilever brand, and yeah. uh, they're trying to articulate a, a purpose around the, the brand. And I think his yeah. name is Terry Smith. Uh, yeah. He's saying, well, last time I checked, Hellman's mayonnaise is for sandwiches, and that's it, right? Yeah. So that's to say you you can adopt a purpose. You have for this purpose to be believable. Uh, mm-hmm. I went through London Heathrow a few years, weeks ago, I'm sorry, and I noticed mm-hmm. that the airport advertises a carbon neutral goal by, I think, 2030. And with all due respect for Heathrow Airport, it's it's rather high, ironic to see an airport aiming for carbon neutrality. Yes. Airport yeah. on Heathrow, it's one of the yeah. ten largest airports in the world. Obviously, yeah. uh, it's not exactly good for the environment. Now, when yeah. you read the small prints, the goal for London Heathrow is to be carbon neutral just for the airport operation. Oh, and by the way, that is part of the airport operation, the part they control. That's all mm. to say that this does not sound right. This is yeah, yeah. why I commend Heathrow Airport on their efforts to differentiate mm. and to build their brand. Mm. I mean, who in his right mind is going to believe that Heathrow Airport is going exactly. to become carbon neutral within seven years? 
Yeah, yeah. It's that credibility, isn't it, of, of delivery, as you were saying. Like you can't just claim something. You need to it needs to be believable that you can actually achieve it. And you've just flown in on a big jet and you see that sign and you think oh, I don't think this is gonna work. Right. So um um, one of the other references from from your book was, and I can't resist this one with a show called Rockstar CMO, right? I can't. You made some um, observations about artists as assemblers. For example, Pharrell Williams, you you said can't read music. So what can marketers learn from Pharrell? I mean, based on the fact, mm-hmm. actually, as well, this whole my whole Rockstar CMO is is actually named after an NERD song, <laughs> Rockstar, Ooh. right? So, <laughs> so, you, so, so there's a nice circle thing there. So, so what is it that we can learn from Pharrell Williams about, about being an assembler and not needing to read music? Yeah. So Pharrell Williams, for um, those of us who may not be familiar, Pharrell Williams is a, a well-known music artist. He yeah. won 13 Grammy Awards. He sold yeah. dozens of millions of records, yet he doesn't know how to read music. Mm-hmm. And I know this for a fact because a few years ago, the Marvin Gaye estate sued Pharrell Williams for plagiarism over his mm-hmm. song Blurred Lines. And mm-hmm. this song was allegedly heavily inspired from a song by Marvin Gaye. As part of this deposition, as part of this lawsuit, Pharrell Williams had to be deposed by lawyers. And here in the mm-hmm. United States, very often, uh, as you may have seen recently with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, um, mm-hmm. depositions are recorded and available to the public. So mm-hmm. if you go on YouTube, uh, you can find the deposition of Pharrell Williams to Marvin Gaye's lawyers, where he's mm-hmm. being deposed on the oath and is having to admit, to make a long story short, that yeah. he doesn't know how to read music. The transcript right. of the disposition is in is in the book. It's as my yeah. kids will say, it's cringe. <laughs> so you get, you get the discomfort from Fire Williams. So yeah. the reason why this is important, whether mm-hmm. you like Fire Williams or not, whether you like his music or not, that's besides the point. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. why it's important to marketers, what Fire Williams does, he's an assembler, he's an orchestrator. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. this means is maybe he doesn't write music, but that's fine. His real talent is to assemble, to deliver his artistic vision rather than necessarily create the work of art, rather than necessarily right. write the music. Uh, yeah. The same reasoning applies with DJ Khaled. The same reasoning applies with Gordon Ramsay. The same mm-hmm. reasoning applies with artists like Jeff Koons, Andy Warhols. Michelangelo, all those artists, Le Corbusier is another one, we can go on and on. All those artists, Mm. they don't necessarily make the art themselves. I mean, Mm. uh, Gordon Ramsay operates many restaurants now and obviously he's not Mm. in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. The is to have a vision and train teams and assemble teams and Mm. ingredients to deliver on that vision. Mm-hmm. And we can do the exact same thing in marketing. And what we can learn from these people is how they craft, how they do their art. But mm-hmm. we also can learn from us how to cope with our imposter syndrome, create mm-hmm. market brands at scale, not feel like we're stealing. We're simply remixing new ideas and yeah. feel that we're really worthy of uh, our craft. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I love that concept. And, I'm, and we could also dive into a couple of rabbit, particularly the imposter syndrome thing there. But then I've just, mm-hmm. I've just realised the time. I better get to our final question. So <clears throat> we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool, our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped trends that plague this industry. We love. What would you chuck into our swimming pool? So your question is to get through the bullshit in the marketing industry. Yeah, what is it that you hate the most about marketing that you want to throw oh, well, into Chuck Intel, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think what's weak and unnecessary is tacky advertising, in-your-face advertising, short-term strategies that yeah. just seek to drive products. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, is pollution for yes. people and it never works in the long run. It's too mm-hmm. tempting to push product to drive traffic to your store and your website this weekend, but that's yeah. not how we build a brand. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and the, I've been thinking about this recently, actually. It's a really good point. I didn't know you were going to make this point um, because I think there's a balance at the moment with marketing budgets being perceived to be squeezed. People are focusing on that short term and not on the long term. So it's important that if we are facing difficulties economically and we need to squeeze our budget, we still need to focus on that long-term, don't we? Oh, yes, and let me um, take an example of a British brand. Yeah. Marks and Spencer. Marks and Spencer has built the brand for many, many years and they have acted generously with the community uh, after the Second World War, Marks mm-hmm. and Spencer would provide um, troops and uh, military personnel with clothing mm-hmm. uh, during and after the Second World War. And that's how they built brand equity. I'm just reflecting on their brand efforts that has been going on for so many years. And yeah, today, yeah. Marks and Spencer is growing. It's opening new stores. Yeah. It's doing very, very well on its private labels both at the entry level and, and the more, let's say, premium luxurious products. That's mm-hmm. all to say that this is an example of a brand that went through many, many challenges over the years, yeah. but it stands today as a strong brand because of all the hard work and all the energy they invested in their brand, as opposed to uh, buy my product now. <laughs> mm, yeah, 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 yeah. So much of that on the high street. And it is, and like you say, it's good to see a success story on the high street right now. So that's really, that's really oh. interesting. Anyway, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm out of time, Emmanuel. When, uh, so when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Are you on LinkedIn, yeah. Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Emmanuel Probst, and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm. And as we said, the book is called Assemblage, the Art and Science of Brand Transformation. And the book, of course, is available on Amazon also at stores in the US such as Barnes and Nobles and the likes. It will be mm-hmm. available at WH Smith later on this year in the mm-hmm. UK. Splendid. Well, I'll include all of your links, including a link to the book, which is great in the show notes. Thank you very much for your time, Manuel. I look forward to catching up and speaking to you about some of these other topics another time. Thank you, Ian, for the great sure. conversation and, and thank you to our listeners. Really appreciate your time. Always thank you to listeners. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you, Emmanuel. Really enjoyed that conversation. I look forward to diving into this assemblage idea. I will, of course, include links to Emmanuel, his book, and everything we talked about in the show notes. Well worth a look. Right. 
It's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello. Whoa, holy smokes. What is, <laughs> what is going on in here? I mean, have you, you have turned, I think you've rented this place out to Elon Musk and you've, it's, there are, look, there's a rocket ship, there's a countdown going on, you've got, you know, there's, it, this is a whole like space uh, center now that you, I mean, are you starting to launch rockets out of London these days? It's, Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a big business now. In fact, yeah. I, I actually, in all seriousness, a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody on the show, um, Izzy House, was talking about space marketing. So I thought, well, why not try it? Okay. Create space own, marketing. Yeah, create my own space station. Find out what this is all about. All right. Well, so, you yeah. should get, um, what's his name? <laughs> from, uh, what is it? Virgin Galactic. Um, yeah. The Englishman. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, Mr. Richard Branson. There you go. On his way down, yeah. Yes. Actually, we did um, we did try and launch some stuff into space a few weeks ago from the UK, yeah. uh, from Cornwall, and it didn't go very well. But uh, we did try, and it was well, using. Um, he's from Cornwall. Rich- what do you expect? I mean, <laughs> that is the most inside of British drone jokes ever. <laughs> well, we're giving it a go. So anyway, yes, yeah, so I thought, well, if they can't make it happen, then I'll turn the bar into a into a spaceport. So um, uh, welcome to our welcome to the Rockstar CMO spaceport. What are we All drinking? Right. <laughs> well, anyway, we have a lovely drink um, for yeah. this week uh, in our space. Uh, you know, this the uh, the space center. I guess we're going to call it now uh, for this week. Anyway, um, and. Uh-huh. We basically have, uh, you know, I think you might actually have at least a few of these ingredients. Um, <laughs> we're going to go with a, a, I guess you would call it a French martini or a French gimlet mm. or something like that. It's Ooh. basically really a simple drink. Um, mm. It is just simply gin. Uh, yes. And I know it's going to sound a little weird, but gin and lime juice. Um, I just oh, had some extra limes laying around, so gins and, and lime yeah. juice. A little, yeah. L, if you've got it, a little uh, Saint Germain or elderflower liqueur, anything like wow. that. And it is, it is very French. Um, yeah. Aside from the lime, I'm not sure the lime really makes it and, French, but um, yeah. certainly the elderflower liqueur does. And but it's a lovely, lovely cocktail. I love it. I love the sound of it. I mean, I, lo- I love gin, as everybody knows. And actually, um, I, I used. Uh, uh, a gimlet used to be like one of my go-tos. I love a gimlet, but hadn't ever put anything else in it. So that's interesting. Yes, a French gimlet. Right, well, I'll attempt to make a French gimlet using only the ingredients on my desktop bar. Um, so let's um, let's give this a shot. Um, did you put ice in that? Is there ice in your French gimlet, mate? Mm. I, no, no ice. Okay. No, this is a shake and no drink ice. and then poured directly into oh. very much like a martini. Oh, oh well, I've, I've I've messed that up. Start off with, but then I haven't got my shake on my desktop bar anyway. Don't so then I'm going to throw gin. some, I'll throw some gin in here, and then um, I shall. Um, oh, there wasn't much of a fizz there. I I shall um, I shall introduce into that instead of the lime, which I actually love with gin. I'm going to go with some of this um, this nice tonic water that I've got on my desk here, mm. which um, the nice people of Fever Tree have just put some cubes not even in the recipe. But yeah, go ahead, right? Go for yeah. it. 
No, and but we all both know what was the what was the liqueur that you put in? That would be a Saint Germain, um, mm. which is relatively easy to find, by the way. Mm. It's an elderflower. Even easier liqueur. to find a cucumber. So uh, um, yeah, it's I... true. <laughs> it's not quite as easy to find as a cucumber. That is that is correct. <laughs> so that I've put correct. feet. I've put I've put a cucumber tonic water in mine. So let me give this a try. Mm. That is delicious, Robert. I could drink yes. one of these every week. <laughs> All right. Well, there you, I, I think you might. And uh, I wonder, is drinking the cucumber-infused tonic water, do you, are you getting a salad in that? Is that a... Is that, <laughs> are, you, are you getting your <laughs> daily supplement of vegetables in that? <laughs> it's got to be one of my five a day. And you know what a reputation... I mean, we haven't got a great reputation for eating vegetables in England, so... Um, it's probably the best way of uh, of getting us all to have some vitamins I see. or vitamins. Right. Is put the cucumber right. in the tonic water. <laughs> that is that is just fantastic. And yes, so uh, where are you going to transport us away to drink? Well, I think we have to go to France, don't you? I mean, if we're drinking yes, these agree, fancy French yep. drinks, we have to go somewhere mm. in France. And we, I think, we were just recently a few shows ago in in Paris. So perhaps we'll yes go to a different part of France and I would leave it to you because you've been to France many more times than I yes. have to, to find That's us a true. spot in maybe Southern France or somewhere on oh, the coast yes. or in the country yes. or something. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I must admit, well, most of the times I've been to um, France, I've been to Paris, but I think that, that um, my sister-in-law lived in Marseille for a while. That's quite nice down there, big port town, but there's some nice spots around there. So, yes, we could find somewhere nice in France. Drink these, indeed. Oh, indeed. Yes. 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 So, um, and, and then, of course, uh, knowing us two, once we've had a couple of these, the conversation will turn to marketing. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about the thing that everybody seems to be talking about, which is this whole chat GPT thing. <laughs> um, you know, yes. it's interesting because even last week, uh, you know, Bing... They announced their thing, yep. Um, yep. and Google tried to newsjack the whole thing with yep. what they were trying to do, um, and failed miserably, by the way, mm-hmm. um, which was fascinating in and of itself. And yep. I think everybody's just a little freaked out at the moment, it seems, about uh, how, you know, how they may or may not be affected by the world of artificial intelligence. And this sort of what I'm finding yeah. is, is that the the... the uh, responses tend to be one of either this is ridiculous. I'm never, you know, it's never going to be anything, uh, you know, uh, approaching what I do, or yeah. I'm going to be out of a job next year, right? I mean, so yeah, yeah. And there's this passionate debate going on around, and and it was interesting because I saw one author, which was interesting, and 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 I've put a lot of thought into this about this and and I one author mm-hmm. it was it was on a social post who truly was concerned and said you know it was it was sort of the combination of the the worst of both of those scenarios that I just mentioned which is he was acknowledging the sophistication of the technology and yeah. of the fear um, yeah, yeah. and saying basically say he, he was saying look I, I you know I worry at some point when it learns my style that it's becomes yes. more me than me. Yeah. Um, and that struck me as wrong. And I tried mm-hmm. to allay some of those fears. 
And we started having a discussion. And it was interesting because, weirdly, the conversation turned to Dr. Seuss. Um, mm-hmm. Because the whole thing about the differentiation that we have as humans, as creators, as writers, as as mm-hmm. thought leaders, as anything, really creative individuals, that mm-hmm. um, is is key, is that we exist today. And here's what I mean by that. So there's a wonderful Dr. Seuss uh, book called Happy Birthday to You. And it's a children's book, of course. Um, And in the middle of that book, there's a line. And I've always loved this line, which is, it's they're t- he's talking about it being the subject of the book, which is of course us as the reader, and and it's it's saying happy birthday because this is the birthday, and it's saying today, right of all days, mm-hmm. today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youier than you. And <laughs> but what strikes me in that sentence is the word today. Yes. Uh, today is your birthday, and what yes. he then says is, if we didn't have birthdays, you wouldn't be you. Yes. And he goes on to say, then you are, you know, the others is, is worse. You know, what's worse than all of that was if you were a wasn't, in other words, you didn't have a birthday. A wasn't was no fun at all. No, he doesn't. Yeah. A wasn't just isn't. He just isn't present, but you, you are you. And now isn't that pleasant. And so to me, when you start looking at this AI mm-hmm. generative content is a wasn't. In other words, it's a reflection of what is. It's not present. It's not the future. It's your content's existence. It can only reflect what is in the past. It can only reflect what has been done because that's what AI really is, is a assembly of everything that you've done in the past and trying to make something new out of it. So you are you because, one, you can choose tomorrow to pivot completely away from that. And that would still be you. In other words, you could choose tomorrow to write a novel uh, in a very particular style that you've never done before, and AI wouldn't be able to recreate that because it doesn't exist. So you can differentiate by simply making the choice to pivot to something different. That's how you are useful, is that today you are you, and tomorrow you can be something different. AI can't. AI can only rely on what it learns from the past to be able to create something new based on that past. So the reason, interestingly enough, I find that it causes such fear in people is because when we look at a content strategy, for example, and this is, this is sort of the ultimate point when I'm, when I visit with businesses and I say, tell me about your content strategy. Well, most of them don't have a content strategy, but when they say that they do, what they do is they'll point to this big repository of content that they've already created and say, see, we create a lot of stuff. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yes, you have created a lot of stuff, but tell me what you're going to create as a business. Like, tell me what you're going to say. And there's no process for that, right? There's no, there's no ideation. There's no planning. There's no prioritization. They have no group wonderful, you know, ideation session to say, here's what our editorial calendar looks like going forward for the next six months. So there is no today for them. Everything is yesterday. And the only thing the content strategy can then be is more of the same of what we produced yesterday. And no wonder then you're afraid of AI taking your job because that's perfectly (laughs) uh, apropos for what AI should do is to create more of what you created yesterday. 
And yeah. so if we're thinking about how our content strategy differentiates in the world of AI, it is simply our ability to look forward and say, what is it we're going to create tomorrow? And how is it different than what we created yesterday? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. And I, well, I love a bit of doctor's use anyway, so I think it's fantastic. And, and what I had in mind when you were, when you were talking about that is like robots and assembly line, they're, they're, des- they're, they're assembling what was designed yesterday right they're not designing anything new they're just assembly and that's exactly what you're saying isn't it? this is this is pre-assembled content that was that's already been designed and i think we see it a lot in b2b don't we it's a repetition of there's a trope there's a structure there's a way of writing b2b content as dull as hell and that's the content that ai will be able to do sure or even assume yeah. that it can create amazingly wonderful things out of your you know, out of the corpus that it learns from, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know yeah. the learning model is always going to be based on what we can feed it. Yes. Um, yeah, and yeah. just like any learning model is, right? You now our, our learning model is uh, such where we go and look at art and learn about yeah. writing and learn about read books and, and we, then we create our own personality and choice out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And what AI, at least, I mean, I'll, I'll say currently but but certainly yeah. you know it is ai cannot choose to go against what is input into it as mm-hmm. an instruction right so in other words yeah. when i say write me something that's you know write me something that robert rose would write that he's never written about before yeah and and, that. and and what you're going to get is random ideas from the internet right yeah, you're yeah. not going to get the conscious choice that you as a human would make based on your experience and wisdom and everything that you've learned over the years because the AI can't yeah. know that. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's an interesting thing to me is that that's where we have an advantage over, of course, artificial mm. intelligence because at the end of the day, artificial intelligence is indeed that. It's artificial. Yeah. 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 And so but, um So it's extraordinarily yeah, was- useful, just not... It's not. It's yes. not us. Yes, I, I mean I've I've been playing as as we all have. I think the whole population of marketers has been logged into ChatGPT at some point in the last few months, and um, I found it fascinating. And I found it, you know, I think it's I think as a research tool, it's amazing. Um, oh, it's, what it's, you? Oh well, although the Google thing sort of put that to yes. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but as but 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 the content you get back, as you say, it it's not it it. It, it needs it, it's not you, yes you'd read it for the facts but you you're not going to read it to be entertained I maybe but not I, I yeah know. right i mean yeah, yeah. I, I think what you're going to you know one of the one of them somebody said in in a thread i was having a discussion with somebody yeah. with they said yeah. well what if so, at some point a famous author uses ai to write their book right yeah and i my response was assume it's already happened Right. Yeah, Just yeah. Assume that they're using AI to to help create yeah. their next fiction work. Yeah. I said you can assume that that's already going to happen. It's absolutely yeah. going to happen, but you can assume that it already has. the The question is, why do you care? Yeah, yeah. Because if you yeah, enjoy like, the work, if you enjoy the yeah. author's work, how does it matter how they generated it? Yeah. Right. Other than the sure. fact that you might see it as a cheat, and so, yeah. but. You know, when you think about Jackson Pollock and you enjoy Jackson Pollock paintings, do you yeah. care that he yeah. filled up paint cans and then poked holes in the bottom and swung them from ropes? 
that was that was his tool to create that he didn't like manually stand over each painting and you know drip it you know he just sort of let it chaos rule or mm. what if you had learned that van gogh basically had assistants that helped you know paint you know some of the things that he was yeah. painting or what if yeah. you learned that stephen king used a word processor instead of a typewriter <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's what the tools that are used to create the works that resonate with us as humans consumption of of content. It doesn't matter. It's the body of work from any one individual that makes up the creativity. We care about Stephen King book, or Mm -hmm. we care about a Jackson Pollock, or we care about that because of it's in context with all their other work. Mm -hmm. And so we look Mm -hmm. at it as uh, a work of art or a creative work in context yeah. with everything else and if it moves us it moves us and we don't care how they created it yeah yeah it's yeah it's funny um a couple of things spring to mind there one is i think as i've mentioned on the show before my daughter is a illustration student in her final year and uh, of course she's worried about all the dali stuff and all that stuff and and what's going to happen to her industry and it's and it, over the years we've talked about what is cheating when it comes to drawing because I I've been able to draw a little bit myself and, and and artists have always used things like grids and they've used technology of, of, of through through the ages right and some people have seen that the previous generation you know, or the next generation cheats you know they say oh the gridding doing grids is cheating or whatever sure. so or, or working from photography is cheating rather than doing you know so I, or Andy I, it's just Andy another, Warhol painting over photographs is that yeah cheap? yeah exactly exactly and the other thing was um that that um uh, listener of the show irene and uh, and kane she 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 was talking on linkedin about this and she talked about the prompts and she'd actually asked chat gpt about prompts and i sort of equated it to the fact that you know one of our skills is going to be going to need to be how do you get the best out of these ai engines how do you prompt it what are those ideas that you have it's like it's like being really good at Googling. It's, Absolutely it's going to have to be, it's going to, it's I, going to be a skill. It was funny. I was having the same discussion. I said, at some point, yeah. prompts themselves are going to be works of art. Yes. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. at some point, yeah. I can imagine an AI picture hanging in a portrait gallery where yes. underneath it is the, the highly prompt. complex and artistic prompt that got that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I love that. There's so much that we could talk about on this. And I'm sure we'll come back to it yeah. again in the bar at some future in point. In the bar, right. So, so where are people going to find the unprompted, raw human stylings of content, Robert? From uh, they will find that at contentadvisory.net, which we have Standard. been dutifully trying to update over the last uh, few weeks okay. and get caught up with 2023. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been going well. So that's Maybe. where we'll, you'll find these lovely thinkings. I love it. Uh, yes, and and so they shouldn't. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, LinkedIn is primarily the social media mm-hmm. channel I'm spending most of my time on these de- these days. Although, also, um, I've been still continuing to experiment with Mastodon. Um, yes. Sounds like it's lost a little bit of its momentum and and all of that, but mm. we will see. I, I certainly yeah. am not spending too much time on Twitter these days. No, absolutely. All right then, mate. And most importantly for me, and um, presumably if we carry on with this thing about me inviting you, yes. Um, <laughs> if I invite you, and if I manage to work Outlook, uh, will you be in the bar next week? I will, and we'll look forward to the Space Center or whatever it turns into. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, let's hope we have a successful launch this week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Have launch. All right, mate. I'll, yes. I'll see you then. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you.
Thank you, Robert. Love that. A bit of doctor's use. And the simple advice to be more you. So that's a wrap on episode 154 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Emmanuel and Robert for sharing their insight and for you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Please let us know what you think. You can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com. Catch us on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or (laughs) just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, the usual shenanigans with Jeff in the studio and Robert in the bar. And I go backstage with startup CEO and entrepreneur Brandy Johnson from the Coupon Bureau. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.